0: Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 113. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope things are going well for you. Uh, We're well into March. I think the snow is done, at least in the Midwest. But, you know, never say never. Hopefully the weather is as you would like it where you are. Not a whole lot exciting going on around here. I am in the process of rearranging the podcast studio, which basically just means getting rid of the old pressed wood stand that held my TV and most of my hardware, Atari hardware and some television stuff with a different stand and uh, you know cleaning the carpet and stuff. So that's all very exciting. I'm sitting here surrounded by stacks, well stack small stack of my cart in box collection. I have a larger collection of carts not in box on the other side of the room, but it's kind of fun to get those cart and box games out and just kind of have them nearby, just because it's cool. I don't necessarily focus on collecting the carts in the boxes, but I do like to have them, and uh, I think maybe going forward I'm going to start looking not exclusively for the boxes, but more often for the boxes, because they are cool to have. Maybe I'll find some at uh, Midwest Gaming Conference in a month or so, because it's coming up, coming up quick. You're hearing this initially on, I think, the 25th of March, which means we're, what, about three weeks out from the conference. Uh, Final details of getting my table set up are in the works. I'm very excited about that. I'm hoping to see a lot of you at the conference. Uh, Come by and say hi, and it'll be fun. And uh, I'm hoping to have some time, at least, to walk around and check out the games and the vendors, and all that kind of stuff. And meet some other podcasters, because I haven't really gotten to do that yet either. So it's going to be a good time. Alright, so what's new in the world? Oh, hey, let's do a Mad Mike Hughes update. Mad Mike, as you know, is the limo driver in California who is on a quest to build his own rocket that will lift himself into space, uh, into the atmosphere, with a camera, and he's going to take photographs that definitively prove the Earth is flat. And then... As I've theorized many times, he will probably be devoured on live television by a dragon. Because as we all know from the medieval map makers, that at the edges of the Earth, there be dragons. He's running into some technical problems. The launch has been scheduled and rescheduled at least a couple of times. I believe at this point, the launch is scheduled for March 24th. Oh, hey, looking at dates here. As you know, I record this podcast early, so as I'm recording, it's not March 24th yet, But as you're hearing this, it's the day after, March 24th. You are listening to this podcast in a whole new world. Assuming Mad Mike actually launched, and now our whole world of view has been changed, and it is a flat Earth. I wonder if you can still hear this podcast on a flat Earth. You know, something about the curvature of uh, the planet, and sound waves and stuff. I don't know. I'm not a physicist, and we've lost Stephen Hawking, so I don't know if I ever get an answer to that question. But, of course, there aren't any other physicists. I wonder if Neil deGrasse Tyson listens to this podcast. Neil, uh, Dr. Neil, if you're listening, please let me know if you know if, if the Earth truly is flat. Does that affect, would that affect, how sound is transmitted? Because I don't know. Actually, if I thought about it, I could probably figure it out. But uh, I'm a podcaster who just kind of talks and talks. And the words that come out of my mouth go into this recording. And then you have to listen to them. Apologies. So anyway... The most recent post, I think I talked about this last week on the podcast, he has, in his Facebook posts, he has indicated that, contrary to prior pronouncements, he is inviting all media to witness this launch. Previously, he had denounced all media as, uh, you know, that liberal media, and he doesn't trust any of them, and he was only going to let Noise TV air it on the, I, I think it's Internet TV And I I guess that's the deal. They still get to air it. But maybe other media people, if they're so inclined, can come watch, I guess. The comments he gets on his posts are sort of a mixed bag of believers and critics. Some critics just critiquing his construction process. Others critiquing him as being a lunatic. My word, not theirs. I'm not saying he's a lunatic. I'm just, that's my summary of the comments. That they think he's pretty crazy. The most recent post on the website on the Facebook page, it is from March 13th. The plunger nozzle and actuator was reinstalled today on the rocket with the new O-rings at the top of the propulsion system. I think I read that, uh, talked about that on the last episode. The first comment actually is a, a very scientific sounding one. Are you considering ballistics and the curvature of the Earth on your tra- trajectory? So that's kind of funny, because, of course, he's saying that Earth is flat. The next comment, though, is a defender. He's, you know, he's saying, hey, keep laughing. But he's doing things you couldn't do. This commenter's got me there. I can't build a rocket. That's why there's a saying. Don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand this. Because rocket science? Pretty hard. So, you know, I do give him points for that. Granted, he's had some mechanical problems, which suggests that he's perhaps not a perfect rocket scientist. But he certainly uh, seems to know more about it than I would. I was lost trying to help my kid build a Pinewood Derby car. So, you know, good on you, Mad Mike. Let's see what happens. Like I say, though... The last post was March 13th, as I'm recording this. It's March 18th. We're, uh, you know, recovering from St. Patrick's Day. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he took a long weekend for St. Patrick's Day. I'll bet that's it. So he's going to get back to work probably on Monday, as I'm recording this. So, you know, get uh, some big bags of dragon chow ready, because if you can do any traveling once the earth is declared to be flat, you're going to want to have something to distract the dragons so that they don't eat the youngest member of your party while you're on your way to Disney World or something. What else is going on? Oh, man. I watched... I, I'll just go ahead and say this. I watched the best thing I've ever watched the other night. Eh, I might be overstating it a little bit. Look, I've made it clear that among the fandoms that I enjoy are, is... Among the fandoms is the Muppets, collectively. I, along with Atari, the Muppets were another of the ever-present elements of my childhood that has remained and has popped up again and again on into my adulthood and now my encroaching middle-agedom I really, 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 really like the Muppets. I really, 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 really appreciate the genius of Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets his worldview, his work ethic, his devotion to his vision it's all amazing. Uh, Has every Muppet thing I've seen been great? No. But as with every creative endeavor, some things are great, some things are not, some things are just okay and you know your mileage may vary. You may not be able to stand the Muppets, but while some of you are probably even crazier fans than me so Frank Oz, who is a well-known director of many things but also a long time uh, and among the earliest Muppet performers has directed, and assembled, directed a documentary assembling a group of legendary Muppet performers, and they basically go and they sit down and have a conversation. Uh, It's called Muppet Guys Talking, and it includes Jerry Nelson, Fran Brill, Dave Goltz, Bill Beretta, and Frank Oz. And Frank also directed uh, the documentary. As he points out, and I assume this is correct, all of these guys have been interviewed many, many times over the years, uh, over the decades, really, but this is the first time anyone has filmed a conversation between the four of them together. And they, you know, they reminisce and they tell jokes. Uh, you get a lot of insider stuff, you know, behind-the-scenes uh, stories, glimpses of how Jim Henson worked, how the four of them worked uh, individually and together. Uh, a lot of funny stories, a lot of sort of shocking stories about the often difficult conditions involved in performing a Muppet character. It's it's just amazing. Frank Oz did a slew of characters that you know, including Grover, Cookie Monster, Miss Pity, Yoda from Star Wars. He's also a director of films like Dark Crystal, which, of course, was a, a Muppet-related project. He also did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, a legendary Steve Martin comedy. Did He directed in and out and then, he, as I said, he directed this uh, documentary as well. Dave Goltz voiced characters like Gonzo, Beauregard, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, Zoot, Boober Fraggle, Uncle Traveling Matt, Stinky the Skunk, and Rugby Tiger. He also took over the role of Waldorf, as in Statler and Waldorf, after Jim Henson passed away. Fran Brill is best known as Prairie Dawn and Zoe from Sesame Street. Beretta took over several Jim Henson characters, including Dr. Teeth, Rolf the Dog, and Swedish Chef. He originated the role of Elmo's dad, Louie, on Sesame Street, and was in a bunch of Muppet films. Among his characters uh, were Statler, as in Statler and Waldorf, Floyd Pepper, he was Sherlock Hemlock, Harry Monster, The Amazing Mumford, Little Jerry, Simon Soundman, and Farley, as well as Mr. Snuffleupagus on uh, Sesame Street. The interesting thing about him: in the documentary, he is on an oxygen tank throughout the whole thing. And we find out later that the documentary was dedicated to him. He actually passed away a few months after they recorded that. Meeting of these four people, so it's, it's just amazing that they were able to give him the opportunity to share his stories uh, before he sadly passed away. A lot of these guys were in, did characters in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, uh, and I guess I'm talking directly to Sean from Pie Factory right now because he and I share a great fondness for that special. So there are some Emmett Otter stories in there too, and it's just fun to hear from these guys. Go check out the documentary. Uh, oh, here's the deal this isn't in theaters. And you can't go to like Netflix or something. They have the documentary available on a website, MuppetGuysTalking.com. Can't apparently now or ever get it anywhere else. You can you pay some money. Uh, it's ten bucks, nine ninety seven. Gives you the right to stream it or download it, whichever you prefer, forever theoretically. There is a special package for a hundred bucks. You get the documentary. You can also get some behind the scenes stuff. I guess, on making the documentary and then you get access to a whole slew of other interactive opportunities with the with the performers, like Facebook uh, chats and things. And that sounds like a good package too. I'll be honest, I didn't pony up the hundred bucks. If I had a spare hundred sitting around, I might have because I like the documentary so much that I, I haven't yet, but I, I am sure that I will watch it again, at least once more, just because I enjoy listening to these creative people speaking eloquently and enthusiastically about the creative process. So, yeah. So that's my free ad for Muppet Guys Talking. Little 5th grade Billy, the 5th grade version of myself, was very excited also this week to hear about the new Oregon Trail handheld game that has come out, is coming out. I'm not sure when it actually came out. I am old enough that when I was in the 4th or 5th grade, my school held a fundraiser. We were all tasked with going door to door to sell sun catchers, these little stained glass artworks in different shapes, butterflies and flowers and whatnot. And, you know, you hang them in the window and the sun shines through and it's very pretty. So we were tasked to sell these with the goal of raising enough money to buy one, count them, one Apple II computer that would be placed in the library of the school for the students to use. One. For the whole school. Now, I don't want to brag, but my class was so awesome, we raised enough money to buy two Apple II computers. They were placed in the library as promised. You had to reserve time. You or you and a friend could reserve time after school. I, th- I don't remember what the allotments were. Maybe 20 minutes? Might have been half an hour? I'm not sure. Two come in and sit at the one of the two Apple II computers in the whole school and do stuff. And one of the main things you could do, one of the, I guess looking back, one of the few things you could do and frankly the only thing I remember doing on them was playing Oregon Trail. And it was such a novelty at that point to play a to, to use a computer to begin with and to play a game on a computer. And Oregon Trail is a fascinatingly, is a thrillingly hilariously downer of a game. Because the whole game is really just figuring out how you're going to die. What horrible death is going to befall you. You're going to drown in the lake. You're going to get wiped out in a snowstorm. You're going to get dysentery. You know, whatever it's going to be. You're just waiting to see what horrible fate comes to you. Uh, So I've always had a lot of affection, like a lot of people, for Oregon Trail. So it's kind of cool that this handheld is coming out. A year or two ago, my wife found a card game version of uh, Oregon Trail and I played it with my kids a couple of times. They kind of liked it, it just it wasn't the same experience. But I might have to pick up this handheld somewhere, because that sounds kind of cool. What else? Ah, as I'm recording this, there's one episode left of Season 11 of The X-Files. As you're hearing it, it's over. It's done. There's still some inkling that they want to make more seasons of The X-Files. I'm not sure it's going to happen. It seems pretty definite it's not going to happen with Mulder and Scully. Scully has made it very, very clear that... She really only came back for season 11 because the way season 10 ended was kind of crappy and she didn't think it was a good way to go out. So she said, fine, I'll do another season. But she's made it clear uh, she's done. She's happy with this season. I am happier with this season than I was with season 10. Overall, I'm quite happy with it, actually. So she's out. And I can't see... David Duchovny's kind of gone back and forth. I think the most recent stuff he's been saying is that he might be open to doing more. But I just don't see them doing X-Files without Mulder and Scully both. I could see them maybe doing... Something in the X-Files universe, I would be open to the idea of an X-Files, X-Files anthology series that isn't really focused on Mulder and Scully, obviously, or the FBI even, but some sort of a you know, sort of a creepy, different setting every week kind of thing, but still within the X-Files mythology. That could be cool, but it wouldn't be the X-Files as we've always known. It'd be, it'd be a different thing with the X-Files name on it. So effectively, I think, the X-Files as we know it is done. So as always, if you have final thoughts about the X-Files, let me know, because I'm always happy to talk about that. As much as I am happy to talk about video games, which we're going to do right now. Let's talk about this week's game. This week's game is Video Pinball from Atari. The, The Atari version, obviously. There was a previous arcade version. The Atari version was in 1980. For what is a pretty straightforward simple concept, there's a heck of a long manual for it, basically just to tell you how to play pinball. A lot of it to my amusement is taken up with sort of the story of pinball as if kids in 1980 didn't know what pinball was so I'll kind of go through that quickly as Atari sees it how many of you out there have always hoped have always longed to be a pinball wizard it's a good bet that some of the places you had to go to play a game of pinball weren't the most comfortable for you hmm what are you getting out at there Atari you think uh, these kids parents are taking them to the pool halls and the seedy bars and the rough-and-tumble gin joints of backwater... I kind of lost the thread there. But I'm not sure where Atari's getting at there. Anyway, so we're, we're pretty sure that, you know, wherever you had to go to play pinball wasn't the most comfortable for you. Well, relax. Since you were wise enough to invest in this Atari Video Pinball, trademark, game program, trademark, you'll never have to worry about being at places that, with that kind of unsavory atmosphere again. The hell, Atari. I don't know where you think the uh, kids in your uh, customer base are hanging out, but geez. you got trouble, folks, right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for... Video pinball has the challenge and the excitement of standard pinball games, and it doesn't have any idea what a quarter is. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there's a lot of kids today that don't know what a quarter is, Uh, what with all the debit cards and whatnot. So not only are you spared the unpleasant task of stuffing quarters into hungry machines, you have the comfort and the well-being of your home. What more could a pinball enthusiast ask for? And as for you pinball wizards, don't think you can master this one lickety-split. It'll be a while before your whiz rating is restored and is in full swing. Okay, I think the same people who are afraid of the places you have to go to play pinball in 1980 are the same people who say things like, Lickety-split. Just an observation. Just in case you're a pinball rookie, there's only one thing you need to know. You're going to love it. You may have stayed away from the more traditional places of pinball habitations in the past. Jeez, Atari, get off of it. But now you're going to see why so many other people have gone goofy with pinball machines. Or, sorry, with pinball madness. As a matter of fact, you'll probably catch the fever yourself within about 20 minutes. So, I think really what they're trying to get at is, No, don't go to those places and give them your money. Come, let us addict you to our game. I see what's going on here. Moving on. So take a deep breath. Turn up the stereo and jump right into video pinball. One more thing, to get yourself a piggy bank for all those quarters you're going to save. That makes it sound like quarters are going to come flying out of the Atari console, which, granted, would be cool. The object of the game is to keep the ball in play as long as possible and score as many points as possible. Duh. Pinball is one of the fastest-growing indoor sports. It provides many forms of amusement, including competition, challenge, excitement, and stimulation. Atari's Video video Pinball provides you with the challenge of pinball wizardry in your own home. Video Pinball, trademark, is a game of skill and chance. It is like the large arcade pinball games, complete with sounds and bright colors, that set the mood for the ultimate video pinball challenge. Each player starts with three balls. Every time you hit the Atari rollover four times, you get an extra ball. The extra ball is indicated by a large X at the bottom of the screen. Playing Video Pinball requires skillful control of the flippers, which are located at the bottom, center of the screen. When the ball drops to the bottom of the screen, you send it back into the playfield by using the flippers. The flippers are controlled with your joystick controller. It's your job to guide the ball within the playfield, hitting bumpers, spinners, targets, and rollovers to score points. Use your joystick controllers to nudge the ball, but don't nudge too much, or you'll cause a tilt. If, you're til- if you tilt the game, your ball scores no more points and any extra balls are lost. They have a section here on how to use the controllers, it's pretty intuitive actually. You can also use your joystick controller to nudge or apply body English on the ball. Nudge or body English means forcing the ball to go in a particular direction, for those of you who didn't know. To do this, hold the red button down while you push the joystick in the direction you want the ball to go. All games allow you to nudge the ball. Video Pinball offers two difficulties, A and B. The A level is for expert pinball players, also known as Pinball Wizards. The B level game is for the beginning or novice pinball player. The A level has two extra drain holes at the bottom of the playfield. Score points each time your ball hits targets, bumpers, rollovers, spinners, etc. You guys know how pinball is scored. You get a point for each time you hit a spinner. 100 times their current value is the score for bumpers. The value inside the bumper increases time. All of the diamond-shaped drop targets are knocked down. I don't know if I understand that. Drop targets. 100 points each time a drop target is hit. Atari rollover gets you 100 points. After hitting the Atari rollover four times, you receive an extra ball. Left rollover. 100 points each time it rolls over. Its value increases by one with each hit. There's also a special lit target, which lights up for only four seconds, located between the two lower bumpers. The bonus multiplier is tallied at the end of a turn. This rapid scoring is accompanied with a whirring sound. When you have scored one million points which is nothing I had to worry about, that score rolls over and starts again. You don't lose the additional 999,999 points. They remain part of your score. There are four game variations. Game 1 is single player, where you can nudge the ball. Game 2 is a two-player version of Game 1. Each player takes a turn with one ball at a time. Game 3 is is a one-player game similar to Game 1, except the bumper values are not accumulated. The bumper values are reset with each new ball and the game is a bit tougher than Game 1. Game 4 is a two-player version of Game 3. Each player takes a turn with one ball at a time, and then we have helpful hints. Tilt is caused by nudging the ball too much. When a tilt occurs, the top portion of the television screen turns red. Your flippers are frozen. If you're experiencing frozen flippers for more than four hours, please consult with your doctor. You cannot score points, and eventually the ball is lost through a drain. If an extra ball was earned before a tilt, you lose it. You... Still retain the bonus earned from the left rollover. Nudging can be very helpful in preventing a lost ball. Bank shots. Use the flippers to maneuver the ball so that it rebounds off a playfield device. Bumper, rollover, etc. And then move toward a specific target. Experiment with the plunger. Ah, yes. The uh, age-old skill of experimenting with your plunger. Try pulling it halfway back, or all the way back, or anywhere in between. You might find your you have better control over the ball with a particular plunger setting. Sometimes a combination of plunger settings and nudging will help send the ball in the direction of the Atari rollover. And that is how you play Video Pinball. Atari's Video Pinball began its life as a dedicated video game console released in 1977 as an Atari Incorporated coin op standalone home console translation. It brought the game Breakout to home players. Bumper controls on the sides of a dial on the front were used to control the game. Depending on the game selected, there were three game types: pinball, basketball, and breakout. The Atari Video Pinball Coin Op was released in 1978 in a cabinet in a 3D playfield with bumpers, LEDs, and fully decorated with city nightline, neon stars, and disco dancers. In 1980, it was the game was released for the 2600 as a car, as arcade pinball, featured actual simulations of a pinball machine, ball shooter, flippers, bumpers, and spinners, and a simulation of real balls' actual physics. Program by Bob Smith. The Atari Times in 2005 says that this reviewer got his first Atari because he wanted to play blockbuster titles like Space Invaders, Asteroids, and Missile Command, and notes that most Atari fans from the 70s and early 80s have a list of games which motivated them to purchase a 2600. I doubt you'll find anyone bold enough to claim Video Pinball was on that must have list of titles. He thinks that uh, Video Pinball is a very strong title, on par with games like Dodge 'em or Othello. But it's an uh, you know, while maybe someone wouldn't run out and buy 2600 to get it, it is a nice game to pull out and play every now and then. The graphics aren't exactly pretty, and the sound borders on the obnoxious, but the game is terribly addictive. What makes the title so enjoyable is the fact that players can do much more than passively watch the ball bounce around and then and hit the flippers on occasion when the time is right. The game effectively uses the joystick button to allow the player to nudge the machine in one direction or another. Overall, this common 4-kilobyte cartridge is quite enjoyable. It will never be held in such high regard as great arcade ports like Missile Command, cult classics like Adventure, or technical marvels such as Pitfall, but still fun to pull out and play from time to time. The A to Z of Atari Games Volume 1 says that the title is the earliest attempt at recreating the thrills of pinball on the Atari 2600, and boy does it show. Ugly blocky graphics, rectangular tables, are about as far from real pinball as you can get, and the square ball doesn't help much either. The game is... Uh, The table's laid out strangely, after you shoot the ball it spends seemingly ages bouncing around before it even goes anywhere near your flippers, and then you gotta try and hit it. Your flippers are pretty small and you have the gap in the middle to worry about. Ugly, boring, almost colorless graphics, simplistic gameplay, not a title you'll want to play for very long. If you want to be a pinball wizard on your 2600 then you are much better off getting the far superior Midnight Magic instead. I've never played Midnight Magic, if any of you have and have thoughts on how Midnight Magic compares with video pinball, let me know. The book, the A to Z of Atari book, gives the game 4 out of 10. Alright, so for those of you out there who are not pinball wizards, I thought it might be helpful to give you a, a little bit of insight into pinball wizardry jargon. Because if you ever go back in time to the heyday of the pinball machine, pinball machines of course are still around, uh, you know, some of the classic machines, you know, fetch thousands of dollars from collectors. Midwest Gaming Conference, which, as I've mentioned many times, I'm going to in a few weeks. They're going to have a huge number of pinball machines there for people to enjoy. So pinball's still a big thing, and I'm sure a lot of you listening are big pinball fans. But do you really know, can you really pass as a pinball wizard? I think you can, even if you don't have the playing chops. If you just want to hang around the pinball halls or wherever they play pinball now, I can help you out. I have in my possession a secret list of pinball slang. No need to thank me. For example, a pinhead is not a dork that keeps hanging around you. No. A pinhead is a pinball enthusiast. Similar you could also say a plungeroo, which is a pinball playing addict. A back box is the flashy back panel of a pinball machine, which is also known as the light box. In British English it is referred to as the back flash, which I like a lot better actually the back box. The display section of the back box is known as the back glass, and often features some amazing art. A biff is an extra vigorous hit with a flipper, not the bad guy from Back to the Future. Some machines have what are called biff bars, or anti-biff bars, which are metal bars placed behind the flippers with the purpose, presumably, of hindering biffing. Oh man, I can't count the number of times I've had my biff hindered. Ah yes. Anyway, the word biff is meant to hit or strike since the late 1800s. Hmm. Panic flip involves flipping before the ball has a chance to reach the flippers. A Lazarus ball is a ball that's come back to life, is passed between the flippers, but by some bit of extreme chance, gets flipped back into play. It's named for the biblical character who was brought back from the dead. See, and your parents thought that playing pinball was going to send you to hell. Just tell them it's religious. You can skip church on Sunday and play pinball, because you're, you're getting in touch with Lazarus. Nudging is cheating, or an expert move, depending on who you're talking to. Nudging and shaking involves moving the machine just enough to influence the ball, but not enough to result in a tilt or shutdown of the game. Some pinball video games also feature a nudge or shake feature, including the one that we're playing today, as we've talked about. Bumpers come in two varieties passive and active. Passive bumpers just sit there while active ones bounce the ball back into play. Mushroom and dead bumpers are types of pa- passive bumpers, while some active bumpers include the thumper, the jet, and the pop. A house ball also known as a zip ball, one that has scored no points. Landing your ball in a kick-out hole will score you a certain number of points, depending on the game, before the hole kicks the ball back into play. Getting your ball in the gobble hole ends the game, but also gives you bonus points. A drain, you know, once your ball enters the drain, the area below the flippers, you can kiss it goodbye, unless you got one of those Lazarus balls, right? Losing a ball like this is known as draining. Machines that drain too easily are called drainomatics. So there you go. You're not going to look like an idiot the next time you go to... Or, excuse me. You're not going to look like a pinhead. Well, wait. You're not going to look like not a pinhead, I guess, the next time you go to a pinball location of your church. I still don't know what you call it. Pinball hall? pinball arama Pinball village? I, I don't know. Whatever they're called. You're not going to look like a chump if you can throw around some of this lingo. Now, once you actually play, you're on your own. All right. Well... After the break, the rest of this episode is flashier than the Bat Box. Just don't biff it, Pinhead. Sometimes I'm amazed that anyone ever married me. Hey, man, can I borrow a quarter? Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Um, okay. Hey, isn't that an old country song? Yep. Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Yeah, you're, you already said that. But I don't actually need to make a phone call. I just want to play a pinball. And anyway, a phone call is like 35 cents now. And, and nobody has pay phones anymore. And here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Fine. Anyway, thanks for the quarter. Uh, hey, where'd all the pinball machines go? 2018, bro! Just play on your phone. Oh. Well, where do I stick the quarter? So I'm about to play video pinball. This was maybe not the only game my mother would play with me when I was a little kid playing Atari, but it was the only one she really liked, to the extent that I would sometimes catch her playing it even when I wasn't playing. This was kind of her thing, so you know, here's to you, Mom. This is an early Mother's Day present. It gets me out of sending those flowers. Here we go. I will say, you know, as much as a video version of pinball can, it does kind of feel like playing pinball. Um, I mean, you don't get to whack the sides of the machines with the buttons for the flippers. But Trying to put the English on the ball and and, uh, whatnot. The ball movement is pretty realistic. The the playing area itself, though, looks pretty goofy to me. Um, I guess it's supposed to mimic the uh, different obstacles in a pinball machine, but it, it just looks weird to me. I mean, the launching part, when you shoot the pinball out at the start, and the little, uh, I don't know what you call it, the little gutter things that it can go down, and you can lose your ball, like it just did, uh, all very, you I know, mean, I keep saying realistic, but I don't know worked that point, that, that, that was good. I'm trying to get it into the uh, point multiplier thing, which I'm sure has a name, but I don't remember what it is. But yeah, I don't know if it's the blue and orange or the little spinny things that don't seem to do anything. Um yeah, so I'm not the game. The play game. play if it's satisfying enough. Uh, you know, again, with the understanding that you're playing a fake pinball game. Um, and that's it. That's the end of the game. Uh, I'm out of quarters, so back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about video pinball. As video pinball machines go, as pinball machines go, this one's pretty ugly. The blue and orange doesn't do anything for me. There's nothing really interesting to look at on screen, but the gameplay feels very realistic to me, and I I very much appreciate that. Especially given how old this game this game was designed in the late 70s, you know. So I, I give a bit points for that. It is kind of addictive. One of the reviewers I read said that, that it's ugly, but it's addictive, and it's true. Uh, I could sit here happily and play for a while. It's kind of like real pinball, you know? You, you just want to keep playing. Real pinball has the benefit of the flashy back box. Let's see, I'm using the lingo now. And, uh, and whatnot. You know, and the, the stuff inside the, the play part, the hardware in there is, is more interesting, the bumpers and whatnot. So this game doesn't have that, but it does have the feel. And you can, in your head, you can imagine whatever you want. You can have, let's see, 1980, what might you have had? You might have had uh, Knight Rider. Maybe not 1980, but Smoking the Bandit. Or uh, somebody in a bikini. Or uh, Tiger or something. You know, on your bat box that you could think about. And then the, the hardware. Maybe your Charlie's Angels bat box, I'll bet, was a thing. Maybe, yeah, that'd be late. That'd be earlier. Probably in the 70s. And then there'd be stuff inside the, the play field area to look at. So when you're playing the video pinball, the point is you can imagine whatever you want is in there. And then, along with the good gameplay, it makes for an entertaining time not going can call it one of the best Atari games ever, but I'm going to say it's a really good recreation of pinball. Alright, so, pinheads. This week's story is about the ultimate pinhead. Eh, and the ultimately unexpected pinhead, because of the unique nature of this particular pinhead. And so, we're about to find out who that is. Oh yes, we're about to find out exactly who we're talking about. Ever since I was a young herpetologist, I've played the silver ball. From Soho geckos to Komodos, I must have played them all. But I ain't seen nothing like him in any terrarium ball. That four-legged, horny lizard kid sure plays a mean pinball. He stands like a statue. Omnivore eats part of the machine, feeling all the bumpers. Always playing clean. He plays even while molting, grows new digits when they fall that four-legged horny lizard tid sure plays a mean pinball he's a pinball lizard there has to be a twist a pinball lizard's got such a venomous wrist how do you think he does it i don't know what makes him so good his many colors are no distractions can't see no scaly skin or frills don't see no wings a-flapping plays with long tongue at the drills always gets a replay never seen him fall That four-legged, horny lizard kid sure plays a mean pinball. I thought I was the herpetology king, but I just handed my pinball down to him. He puts eggs on my favorite table. He can shoot venom at my chest. His lounge of lizards lead him in, and he just does the rest. His crazy flipper appendages, often seen them fall. But that four-legged, horny lizard kid sure plays a mean pinball and that's our show my thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incomptech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs Reformat Pinball Spring and Take a Chance wait should that be Pinhead Spring I don't know I'll ask Kevin about that show notes are at ataribytes.libson.com email the show please do at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com like the show on our Facebook page follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And of course check out my occasional weirdness on Instagram. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, etc. etc. But whatever you do, please don't forget, but whatever you do, don't don't get distracted by the gorgeous back box. Don't don't get so distracted by the gorgeous back box that you biff one by forgetting to leave a review on iTunes. If you're writing a review and you write the wrong thing, don't hit a panic flip. This review can be saved like a Lazarus ball by nudging your way back into leaving a glowing review of this podcast on iTunes. If you think the podcast is a house ball that scores no points, be honest and say that. But maybe instead you think it's a gobble hole. Sure, it ends the podcasting game, but it gives you lots of bonus points. Now, before this episode goes down the drain, I'm going to move on with the rest of this closing segment. Please consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page, uh, the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Go Play Some Old Games They've Missed You, stuff at our Zazzle.com store, the AB underscore pod underscore store, uh, store. And if you have time, go check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, where you can get your Snoopy fix on the 15th of every month. Next time, on Atari Bytes, Sea Hunt. All right. Hopefully we'll find out what sea we're in and what exactly we're hunting. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.